Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we are going to talk to Jeff Simpson with Linder Media. And yeah, I know you could think, oh, we're going to talk, what are we going to talk about with a media guy? Well, we're going to talk about the same things we talk about every single week, musky fishing. We can't get enough of it. You can't get enough of it, apparently. That's what we do. We talk about musky fishing. We're going to go, I don't know, we're not necessarily offering up timely tactics to catch fall muskies, but we're just talking about uh, the musky industry in general and different trends and things like that. So that's kind of what uh, is on tap for this week. So my co-host, Brad Hoppy with Musky Mayhem Tackle, is here again yet this week. Brad, that's two weeks in a row. I think we should give you some sort of round of applause. <laughs> well, the days are getting shorter, that's for sure, with uh, sunlight anyway. But uh, yeah, I'm around and still fishing, obviously, but uh, trying to make a little bit more time for the podcast as well, because I know how important that is in uh, in our realm as well. You know, like the days are getting shorter and the temperatures are going to be getting colder. The last yesterday, actually, and today, even in Wisconsin, it's, you know, Wednesday, we're actually ahead of way ahead of schedule. Like we literally just released this week's episode like hours ago. So I have like a full week to edit this thing. It's beautiful. But we were at like 70 degrees yesterday. Like I walked out of the shop and I'm fairly positive that it was warmer outside than it was in the shop. And it was, it, it was nice, but it's not going to stay nice for real long. It's going to be, it's going to be fall, like late fall real soon. Well, I can't say the same thing for us here. We were pretty dreary yesterday. It did get up to about 52, 53 degrees again today, very cloudy. And I think the, the sky is going to fall in the next day or two. <laughs> Temps will be dropping and it sounds like potential snow on Friday and Saturday in my neck of the woods. So. Well, it's going to get interesting, that's for sure. I won't tell you that we, it's been nice as far as, like, sunny. The temperature's been warm, but it is not nice and sunny around here. It's been raining. Like, we needed we needed rain, but we've gotten a lot of rain in the last couple of days. I mean, like I said, it's much needed, but been nicer if we would have gotten it, you know, like, a, I don't know, quarter inch at a time instead of, like, two inches in an hour, that kind of deal. But it's <laughs> – uh, <laughs> we need it. It'll get the uh, it'll get the lakes and the rivers filled back up at least a little bit. I mean, I'm, it, it's a drop in the bucket compared to what we need, but – it's it's helpful. So, Brad, you got any um, you know like major plans coming up as far as trips are concerned? Any uh, any filming things we need to talk about? What's going on in your world the next uh, week? Well, Mayhem Simpson Cast, we need two more episodes for this season for season three. Um, yes, we will be filming. Chase will be heading back this way. He went back down to West Virginia for a week and a half here to hang out with family and do some fishing of course that's that's what chase does he fishes right so he went down there and uh seen his family had been i don't know five months since he'd been home so definitely important and as soon as he gets back we're gonna jump back in the boat and get after it and try to button up this year's filming and then i started editing yesterday jeff so time of that this time of the year it's definitely uh, it's going to be a little bit of seat time in front of a computer. And I don't know. It's amazing. This year just kind of flew by, but, uh, fishing has been good. Um, mixing in some trolling as well as casting. I know there's a bunch of guys out there doing the live bait thing, but, uh, I choose to go down a different path. I love throwing big baits, rubber and wood throughout the rest of the season. And it's definitely uh, paying off. So we've had some good activity. That's great. I'm hoping that uh, one of these days I get back on the water. It's been a little while since I've been out. 
things were going really good in the early part of September, into September, even the early part of October, I think it was good. And then uh, it's been a little rougher as far as getting on the water. So hopefully that changes soon because you know, we're running out of time. Like if we don't get out now, we're pretty soon we're not going to be able to get out. I mean, I'm hopeful we still have like another month to go. When you hear this episode, it'll be November 1st. So I'm hoping we have a solid month, but uh, days are running short. And if you're still out on the water looking for chasing, you know, big fish, giant fish at this time of year, make sure you check out teamrhinooutdoors.com. Many retailers are probably not restocking shelves right now, and that is not the case for us. We have definitely gotten a ton of stuff in in the last little while. So if you haven't poked around on the website, go check out teamrhinooutdoors.com. And if you're taking Brad's advice and you're still out there chasing muskies with big bladed bucktails, you should go visit Brad over at Musky Mayhem Tackle. And Brad, I'll let you finish it up. I did half of it for you. Yeah, I think part of the equation is, is a lot of people forget about inline spinners at this time of the year. You know, the end of October going into November. And I can honestly say if you just kind of slow things down a little bit and you use a lot of bigger blades, maybe it's a grenade, maybe it's a supermodel detonator. Hurricane is another great option. Um, definitely is effective and it's a great tactic to end your season right up to ice up. So definitely something to consider. And you can check out our website. Or you can check out Team Reno Outdoors or any other retailer that might be out there that's carrying our products. And uh, it's, a, it's a great way to, uh, to end the season is catching some fish on some blades. All right. Time to go dial up our conversation with Jeff Simpson. All right. Our guest this week is Jeff Simpson with Lindner Media Productions. And Jeff is a uh, digital media director. So, Jeff, I want to thank you for taking some time out of your Wednesday morning to talk uh, fishing with us. Yeah, that's awesome. I appreciate uh, Brad and, and you, Jeff, having having me on and inviting me on. You know, the when Jeremy Smith and I are traveling, we uh, download Backlash podcasts and listen to them all the way to our destination. So we really enjoy the podcast. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, no, actually, sorry, yeah. sorry because I have to hang out with Jeremy. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I was <laughs> thinking sorry that you couldn't find something better to listen to. But you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean it's better now. Brad's here, so at least he's he's helping the show. Uh, you know, maintain its B plus rating, so that's good. There you go. <laughs> so Jeff, we've never had you on the podcast before, and typically with first time guests, we kind of get a background on them, so our listeners have an idea of you know, who they're, who they're listening to. So let's talk about you because you've been, you know, in the fishing, uh, industry for a long, long time. So if you want, why don't you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, your history, what you're up to over there at Lindner and, you know, what got you into musky fishing and fishing in general? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, uh, I grew up in South Dakota, uh, just, just to the West of Minnesota there. And, and my dad had an outdoor publication called uh, Walleyes Unlimited, and then it, it further became uh, the Dakota Outdoors. And and so I was around the fishing industry. I grew up hanging around. Oh, people might remember Tony Dean and and all those guys. But I was kind of a as a kid, I was I was in the mix of of the media business and the fishing media business. So I was fished the Missouri River a lot, but then the Eastern Lakes, you know, are just absolutely full of fish and. Um, absolutely love fishing you know i had no problem my dad was and he still is at his his age um fishes all the time you know 12 hours a day 15 hours a day like that's normal to me so that that i I just always had a real passion for fishing and so when i went on to school you know i was going to get into business and 
um, but kept writing because I was I was writing for all those local local places and uh, ended up getting into journalism and, and loved writing and wanted to get in the PR business, maybe work for Lund Boats or do that. But as it as the road went on, I just you know that's kind of how people's careers go. I ended up working for the Hunting and Fishing Library, which is they made hardcover books on all kinds of topics and uh, did that down right out of college and worked for the South Dakota Game Fishing Parks. And my path eventually led me to in fishermen where i i worked there for 22 years worked on the wally center we had all kinds of things going on there with the in fishermen and all the single issue you know even the pike and muskie guide which obviously i was passionate about and and was the editor and did all the photography for all the publications but worked a lot on the wally insider ice fishing guide and was the primary editor for the the uh, wally insider um so but in that in that time, we did have. So, how did you? How did I get into musky fishing coming from South Dakota? Well, that's a that's a real good question. We had one lake at the time that had muskies in it, and my dad actually we we go up there and it was intriguing. We go up there and when they first put him in, and he actually had the state record for a little bit. It wasn't very big, but that was his his one state record that he caught. And ever when I moved to Minnesota or moved to Brainerd, obviously muskies at that time that would have been in 1997. Um, that's the first thing I just started fishing for. I just, it was just something and that most musky guys will understand that once if it's in your blood, it's definitely in your blood. So that's kind of how I, uh, my, my career has gone. And then I went to, after I got to left, I was there for 22 years at In Fisherman. And then I've always kind of talked with the lenders. Oh, I'd say since about 2012, 2007, you know, kind of, because uh, they knew they needed to get into the digital media. And that's kind of when I got out of the editorial. I got basically owned by a corporation. So I got sucked up into the digital world and was in charge of all their fishing media websites and newsletters. And so eventually it worked out where I could come and hang out with, with the lenders, which is awesome. I had to get a bunch of friends over there, guys I worked with back at the hunting and fishing library, actually worked for lender media. And so it's just awesome. You know, you go, you go over there and, and Al comes in my office every day, you know, when Ron was alive, he was in my office every day. So you just have that real, um, it's what you see when you watch those guys on television, they are passionate about fishing like the rest of you, you know, so it's really a great environment. Jeff, how do you split up your time, you know, the fishing side versus the work side? I think that's got to be a pretty big challenge in your life and uh, the demand of what you're doing as a real job, but the combination of fishing as being a part of your job as well. How do you manage all that? <laughs> I should be asking you that question, Brad. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, the, uh, it's, it's a challenge. I learned early on when I was doing that duck hunting book, when you mix your passion, which I do love duck hunting, and I'm a bow hunter as well, but absolutely love fishing. So anytime you mix your passion with your your job, you are at risk of burnout. There's absolutely 100% fact. You know, people say, I'd love to have your job. Well, I work my tail off. That's no doubt. If you look at what Linder Media has under its umbrella, it's amazing. They have Angling Buzz, Angling Edge, the Lund Fishing Experience, uh, and ice, we do an ice buzz show TV. So there's like five different major um, television efforts there. And along with that is all the digital media that has to go with that. So I'm busy from the time I get to work until I leave. And I could I could keep working all night and never catch up, you know. So that's just kind of the nature of the that job. 
And so to Brad's question is how do I keep that balance? I somehow, when I did that duck buck, I, I did get burned out. I, I was working my tail off and I had mixed the head and I was a young kid, you know, I was probably 26, 27. And there were good and bad things that happened along the way. And it left a bad taste in my mouth um, when we were working on that project. And I'm like, yeah, I do need to learn how to separate the two. So I basically, I do all that fishing. When I do all that fishing work, I, it's work. I consider it work. And, you know, obviously it is about fishing, but I just consider that work and then boom, when I close the door, then it's, it's what I want to do. If I want to go fishing, I go fishing. And that's the interesting thing about the, again, the guys that work at Linder Media are super passionate about fishing. So if we take a day off, we're probably going fishing, you know, so it works out. You got to keep them, you got to keep it um, on the front end that you have to keep that balance. But, you know, once you figure it out, it's, it's, uh, it has worked for me. You know, Jeff, so you talked, you talked a little bit about burnout. Is there a slower time of the year? You talked about how you could pretty much work all the time and that's sort of the way I'm sure Brad feels and I feel, you know, is there, is there a slower time of year? Cause like for me and I'm assuming Brad as well, like this time of year is typically, we got like a little window here where we're not doing shows and you know, people are starting to get off the water. So we kind of slow down a little bit. Do you guys have that at all? Um, We kind of have to make it um, that time of year and, and it, by the way, the nature of the beast, like in my job in particular, like I said, I could keep working year round. There's just so much to do on that digital front. But um, I do probably of the, so we probably produce 27 shows for Anglin Edge, and I'll help out with seven or eight of those is what I have probably time for, which is seven or eight weeks. Okay. But so if we go, if Jer, Jer and I go to, if we head up to Manaki or Lake of the Woods, you know, if we go on a musky trip or if we're heading up Lake Trout fishing, we, we went on a trip up up north Lake Trout fishing this year. So that way I got to plan a week, um, basically, if going on those big destinations. So that's a bit of time out of my schedule. But it, the, as it works, we, we have to, when you're making a television shows like Angling Edge, you have to do it when there's open water. <laughs> so that is kind of our free time. But as far as... Uh, season wide i i guess in the winter we, we do do that ice show but i mean i'm 52 now and and jerry's younger than me and so it, it's, it gets tough to do and we got some young people on staff so i guess winter time we have more free time um to uh, we, we make lures and we still just musky fish you know i talk musky and dream about musky fishing you know uh, during the winter but i would say you know I don't know if I've answered your question, but I think uh, in the summer we're still busy, but we're that's when we fish, you know. So I know for me it, it becomes a challenge because uh, building baits and, and selling baits with musky and tackle it's demanding. Um, not so much as far as everybody needing me around. <laughs> I'm just kind of the guy that runs around in circles, boxes up a few things, and then I head out the door to go fishing. I guess, but. Don't get me wrong. There's times when I'm I'm attached to the business, and so it makes it challenging. I would I would agree with what Jeff Whitman said. You know, this time of the year, this October time frame is probably our quietest time. But I have to admit, this October has uh, it's kind of like the season has been extended just based upon nice weather. Um, it sounds like it's going to change here in about three days, two days, and that will usually start putting a cap on things. But I think kids getting back into school um the family side of things kind of slows down the whole process of the fishing time 
and then you've got sports, you know, whether you have daughters with volleyball, if you got sons with football and so on and so forth, maybe it's cross country, whatever it might be. But you see this like little bit of a break in the October and then November, it almost starts ramping right back up because we got to prepare for shows. I just started editing last night for Mayhem's 10,000 Cast. I'm, uh, kind of dreading that a little bit this year i don't i once i get into it then i love it i i absolutely love doing that side of it but it's challenging for me to get in the right mood um i feel like the summer just kind of blew by and I, I don't know what happened it's pretty bizarre when we're not done fishing yet that's for sure we'll be going you know throughout the whole month of november as well as potentially into december down south so I look forward to those times and, and that kind of gets you back on track, you know, both time always heals. Right. So that's part of the gig. I think you nailed it. That's just, that is part of the gig, isn't it, Brad? And that when you're fishing, even though you're working on that filming end of things, if you can say, well, I'm, I'm fishing, you know, that, that gets you on, that, that's a, puts you on the water. So and that's always a good thing. Jeff over there, he doesn't really get to fish much anymore. All he does is seem to work. So. We need to get him on the water, though. I've been trying to convince him to get over here in November sometimes. Well, you know, I got a, I got four kids, Brad. They, they all have responsibility, or they all take up a part of my time. It was funny because I was talking to somebody. I was like, you know, when the kids move out, eventually you get your time back. But then I was thinking, yeah, but then you probably get, you know, grandkids and kids are getting married and things like that. I'm like, I don't really think that once you have kids that you ever get your own time back. There's definitely a concern about that. That's for sure. I would say, um, but you know, at the end of the day, every human being, I don't care who you are, you need some, some of your own time as well. And, and again, that's kind of where this whole conversation started is measuring and making sure that you balance all of that. And I think everybody has a different style of balancing their time and, uh, it can be challenging as we all know. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think that balance, and you have to like uh, I'll give you a, a for instance, <laughs> and and how how that is important and healthy for you to get out there and like I mentioned, I'm 52 years old. Well, clumsily I slipped on a wet dock and tore like the top of my thigh. Well, I've been out of commission for a month, you know, and just not going out and doing something, whether it's going uh, hunting or going going fishing, like I'm. I'm ready to be to be healed up. I can guarantee you that. And I think if you get caught in the in that lifestyle where you're like, oh, you know, I, I work in the fishing business, I'll, I'll fish on another day. Like, you got to get out there. As soon as you get out on the water, you know how good it is for you. You know, so I would agree with that statement. I think as you get older, it definitely makes things more challenging. And mentally, if you don't keep yourself in that game or having that drive, it can definitely go down the wrong path quickly. Versus when you're 20. 25 years old you know it's quite amazing and uh the aches and pains don't always help that's for sure but uh i i can tell you this if i lay around on the couch i'm gonna hurt way worse than if i'm out in the water and i think that's kind of what you just touched on absolutely keep grinding yeah keep grinding so i know that you and jeremy just did a recent trip up to eagle lake i mean it's been a few weeks now but uh why don't you talk to us a little bit about that and kind of how that bike went down? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that was a great, great trip. You know, and every time we, we, you get in the truck and you, you head somewhere like, and for me, you know, I've gotten to fish all over the country, you know, with the, 
with my in fish days and, and now with uh, Linder Media. But you get in the truck, and especially it's especially true with muskies. You head there, and you're full of excitement, and and but you don't know how it's going to unfold. And ultimately, I was thinking about this. Like it seems with muskies, it unfold. There's a different story every single time. It's like the unfolding and how this thing, how the trip evolves, is is amazing to me. Uh, and so then the same thing happened on this trip. We, we went up there and we, we kind of thought what we knew was going to happen and it was different than what we thought, you know? So we get out there and start, we're both thinking bucktails and that they're going to still be shallow, you know, kind of right on the bubble of what, what we think they're going to do. And well, the, the fish just weren't, you know, popping up, they weren't popping up. So Jared put on a tube and, and started chunking that and, I stuck with a bucktail, but I, I did go with a little heavier one, and boom, you know, those fish started started rising and popping. After that, you know, you kind of we, we dialed that in, figured in, figured when we when we see those fish that they were, we needed a little heavier bait. Um, so, you know, we got between Jer and I. I don't know; it's embarrassing how much how many lures we bring. Right, we bring hundreds of hundreds of bucktails and every other lure you can think of when we leave more than half of them on the dock and go fishing. <laughs> but we do have some, uh, each of us have a bucket full of the, t- the prime options. One of them was Brad's grenade. And I, I tied that, I put that thing on, hooked it up and and threw it out on a, a reef, just thinking I could hop that thing back on that, down along that reef edge. And boy, they were they were all over that. I got one on a, on a figure eight on that bite. And, and yeah, we, at the end of the day, we you know we got we got a show done in in no time, and we we're able to fun fish you know for the rest of the trip. So it was, it's a it's an awesome lake full of big fish, and you know it's just it, it's one of those deals where you go on these trips and you're just like, oh man, I want to go do it again. So absolutely, uh, how much you know? I know that you guys have a commitment to Canada as a sponsor. Um, how much musky fishing do you do here stateside as well, Jeff? Is that in the mix or is that more just pleasure side or how does that all work? Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure side for the most part. By the time we go up and we, we do a couple of shows, we, we need a couple, there's a balance of the multi-species formula for those 27 shows they produce for Angling Edge. And so two of those, two or three of those are musky shows. And so we'll, Obviously, the musky fishing's um, a little easier of a task up there, and and we can only have so many. So generally, they're coming from Canada, but we we for sure like we have sponsorships with like Leech Lake, for instance, or Lake Vermilion. So those are two musky filming areas that we do now. When it comes to just you know going out musky fishing locally, um, obviously we do that. Leech Lake is an hour away from where I live. Um, Malax is, you know, 18 minutes from where I live. So, and then there, there are a lot of little lakes around the area, you know, that we, we bomb out on musky fishing and including the Mississippi river. So it's uh, that's kind of how I, uh, filming and recreational wise, um, my, my zone. Makes sense. So I know you do quite a bit of this fishing with Jer. Let's talk about a little bit about how and what makes a really good musky fishing partner. That's that's a great question, Brad. Yep, that is a great question because the uh, 
I would say back in my, my infish days, so I would travel around. I'd go fish with guys on Green Bay or go fish with guys at Lake of the Woods, right? And that was fine. You know, we and we we would eventually fish well together. Now, Jer and I, and we talk about Jeremy Smith for a little bit, you know, that and a lot of people in the musky world and in the fishing world know him. He's been around a while, and, and he is a, obviously a well-spoken individual on television and and a very educational guy. But the one thing you can, if you really watch that guy, he is absolutely passionate about fishing. That's the one thing I pick up when I watch him. That's the one thing I pick up with when I fish with him. And he and I fish just amazing together. Uh, it's, uh, we work, we bounce, we, we, we're no problem. One guy starts with one, one lure option. One guy starts with another lure option. We're watching each other. We're helping each other. If I spot a fish from the side or he spots a fish from the side, we're, we're helping each other that way and, and trying to figure out the pattern of these fish. And if you got two guys casting the boat, like, and, and I know Brad will testify to this, like it's your chances of getting it dialed in increase dramatically. If you got two good musky guys in the boat and if say I go out by myself and fish them the river, like I am, I'm drifting with that current. I'm not able to, for this, just for instance, I'm not able to cover all the water just by myself. And that's kind of the same way with, with two guys. You can really, really dial it in that way. And, and just, you identify things that the fish are doing and you identify, let's try this. or let's try that. And you also keep each other uh, upbeat. Like when you're musky fishing, that is a workout, right? Like we, we're fishing literally for fish film fishing. It's 15 to 17 hours a day. We're eating, literally getting back and eating at 11 at night and getting up at four in the morning and doing that for five, six days in a row, you know? So, to do that and to complete your figure eight and to make good casts and to, you know, wait for those windows to pop open and then make hay while the sun shines, it really pays to have a good fishing partner. Unfortunately, that, that's the cool part about working at Lender Media. Jer and I are, are work really well together in the boat. Yeah, I know that you guys have a, a pretty special friendship as well. And, you know, you talked about the passion. And another passion that I know that you two kind of share and you started working on this, and I don't know the whole history exactly how long this has been, but you guys started creating some baits together. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting story. You know, those, so much like, like you know, Brad's business, you know, he, he's probably would follow the same mold. If he, we lived in the same town, we'd be hanging out and doing all, and thinking all the same way and doing all the same things because we, before Jerry and I, we really became friends. Like we knew, we knew of each other and would talk and that whole thing within the fishing industry. But before that, like we were both building our own bucktails or inline spinners. And when we became friends, it was real interesting. Like we both kind of had like the exact same designs and kind of our favorite features in built into these, these homemade bucktails or inlines that, that we make. And, but, you know, we we're always tweaking and I'm, I would say, well, that's an interesting thing. Like my history, like I'd say, I don't know what it is now, 23, four years ago, I invented an ice fishing lure called the chubby darter, which is the Selmo chubby darter. So basically I, I would, I'd carve this lure. Like I think I lived in an apartment at the time and carved and was pouring lead in this apartment and trying to refine this bait um, to attract, you know, basically I wanted a bigger lure that would attract fish to me instead of me having to, you know, drill holes and 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 find the fish 
I wanted them to come to me was the, and that's, that's exactly what the bait did. You know, it was, it was just an awesome kind of a built that whole category of, of using larger baits while ice fishing. And then I've, you know, obviously tinkered here and there. Well, Jared, Jared's doing the same thing. Like his garage, when he's not working or, or taking care of his kids, he's out in his heated garage, like painting baits, tinkering with baits, uh, modifying baits, you know, trying to find the next tweak. And once we became friends with that, you know, good friends of uh, four or five years ago, and then we just instantly, I started hanging out over his garage and, and we started making baits and we're like, I've always just wanted to, we just wanted to make our, our own baits. And so we started coming up with uh, the, 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 the lure designs and kind of the shapes and things that might've been missing in that hard bait category uh, and producing those baits under, we, we create a little company called Prankster Baits. That's kind of where we're, we're doing it again, you know, this year. It's just, a, it's just a fun activity to do in the winter. And we only do it during the winter months. So we can only make, well, I hand carve them all. And then we both kind of build the bait together and then Jer paints them. So it's a workout to get one lure done. I'm not kidding you. It's like 30 to 40 steps uh, just to make one of those custom baits. And, but it's fun. We both enjoy doing it. So we're doing it. You know, and we just kind of said, Heck with it. Let's let's do this. We both enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. So, so I had the opportunity to use a couple of your baits this past year, and um, I can tell you, your your big tank bait, I love it. I I have not caught on it yet, but I I don't know why. Um, I've had a ton of follows, live scope follows, as we were trolling that bait, and I have a feeling that maybe this winter or this fall will be the time frame for it. My spring bite for open water trolling has been really bad the last two to three years, and I don't know exactly why. I don't know if it's because there's so many more people casting out in the open water. Um, it's just, you'll get the fish to follow, but they don't want to commit. But uh, so far, the last couple of years, the fall trolling has been incredible, and we've already had a little bit of that this year so far on film. So that was positive. But the one that I'm probably more intrigued about is... Uh, the one hitter and then the rattler. Um, I really believe that that bait is going to be incredible. We've had a ton of falls on it. I do think it's one of those baits that uh, is probably going to be more so that September time frame for me. And actually, I was using it more as a surface bait, which um, I thought was very intriguing. It's kind of maybe on the means of using it like a hog wobbler, but with a little bit more speed. And I'm super, super excited about that particular bait. Yeah, the PSM is that's uh, that is really one of my that's my favorite bait. I just uh, I fished it a lot um, and have caught on it, and it's uh, it's a real fun bait to fish. I mean, that's that's kind of the the cool part of it. Instead of like uh, oh walking the dog or you know, I guess hog wobbler, you know, it would be it's a, it's a real subsurface. I can think of those smaller bass baits, you know, just the subsurface baits. But I've been doing fishing that bait two ways. Brad and that's the and, and Jeff. I've been you know slow rolling it, you know, real slow, which is a that's a commitment as a, as an angler in general, right? To be able to just slow roll those baits, they'll, they'll come up and you just gotta believe that a muskie's gonna trounce it, and they do. And then uh, speed speed walk working that thing, and and kind of the the dive and rise um, option too with that bait is, is kind of interesting. You can really make it dance and do a lot of things. So that is, a, that's a really cool bait. Yep. Indeed. 
I'd like to see Jeff, I'd like to see a little bit longer version of that bait. Actually. I think, uh, it kind of reminds me somewhat of a believer as well. I mean, a believer is always something that I use casting wise. Um, I'd use it after dark. I'd use it during the day and, and you can ride that thing kind of close to the surface if you'd like. So you can stay over top of weeds and shallow water. But the other side of it is, is, is the noise factor of that and how much water it's actually moving. I would love to see you guys make an eight or a 10 inch version of that same bait. I mean, it's so cool. We'll do that for you. We'll do that. That's a, we love uh, that. That's a funny story. We got, well, we kind of joke around at Prankster Bates. There's two, uh, two guys, uh, Greg Qualley is one of the guys, super cool guy. And then there's a guy named uh, Andy Carlson and they, they'll come over and, and hang out during the winter at the shop. And, and we call them the intern, but one's, one's uh, dirty Andy's my age and, uh, and Greg's he's, he's 75 or so. So, to say they're interns is a bit of a stretch, right? But it's a uh, dirty Andy. He'll work on a, he'll work on two baits a year. And he made one last year. It was a dive and rise bait. And he had this internal rattle chamber. I mean, it, and it, so when you jerk on it, it go fall back and forward, back and forward. And it took him the whole year to make that thing. We, we took it up to Manaki and the fishing was kind of slow. So I, I put it on and it's a funny story. Like I was trying to get it tuned, and it was going left, going left, and I kept tweaking it and tweaking it. And Jerry's like, "That thing's not ready for market." Well, it was the next cast. It got it got pounced. I fished it the rest of the trip, and you know, like I I missed another one on it and had several follows. So, just those little those little details and and those little things. I know Brad can talk about this because his company. Basically, I remember back when I was working for In Fisherman when when they came out with that. And they're with their first bait, and that that thing basically changed everything. It absolutely changed everything. The whole musky, the whole thing took a, a left turn, and, and or a right turn, whatever. It, it was a turn on the road when when Brad came out with that bait. My my point is with musky fishing, all these little nuances, and you keep tweaking, tweaking, tweaking. My absolutely favorite bucktail is black blades black skirt and and most of the musky guys will be like yep you got to be there when that window opens you can you can you can throw a curveball terrible cast at these muskies and you're going to catch them well that's true right we all know that the, when those windows open they probably hit anything so yeah black on black's my go-to but i've fished with uh, with all these guys over the years all these great anglers and a lot of them are li- like they're looking for that nuance that one little subtle thing that'll make a big difference. And when they came out with those double-bladed baits, oh man, were those a couple of good years spread. Well, it was truly incredible. I can't take all the credit for that. That was my wife more so than me. And uh, it truly did change a lot of different things. And it it was quite amazing. Um, I know that, I think it was the second season, there was like 327, if I'm not mistaken, 50-inch fish that, were reported back to us on our double cowgirl. So, I mean, what an incredible feat. Basically, through Muskie's Inc., um, we own Eagle Tail, which Eagle Tail, I think, had the most 50s for like 23 years, I believe, on Muskie's Inc. registering, and we beat that in one single season. So, it was amazing, um, a great ride. It's still a staple bait, and I think, uh, you know, the double cowgirl is always going to be a staple bait just based off of that. Um, there's a lot of history there at this point, 18, 20 years later. It's kind of amazing that it's been that many years, but 
and there's so many different variations of, of other people's creativity that's come out since then. You know, you could call them knockoffs, you can call them whatever, but people are always trying to tweak no different than what you and Jay are doing in a garage. And I think that's part of the beauty of this whole sport is that you can go in your garage, maybe even in your boat and start throwing things together and actually come up with something where you can catch a fish. That side to this whole sport kind of makes it a different level. Yeah, absolutely. And the interesting thing, and this is, this is just a, a great observation and Jerome, Jerome will, and made this observation. And so we're, we're both fishing. I'm fishing behind Jeremy Smith. And I'm telling you, I think that dude's an awesome stick super good stick and i don't care what he's fishing for but especially muskies that's his main passion he's he's a tough guy to fish behind and so we could we're looking for these windows well i i keep altering baits and i switch to bright green and a bright 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 green blade and a bright green skirt and a black blade and it was out here's how i envision you have those windows where you can throw those black anything you want and they're going to bite it's those fringe so if you that's the center of that window it's these other windows on both sides of that where you can call fish up outside the window and and this bait i was fishing behind jeremy and this bait was just calling fish up he was casting in front of me it was outside the windows and this bait was was rolling so you go out to does color make a difference absolutely it can make a huge difference and you go out to brad's website and he's got all these color options you don't know what to think well first buy black on black you know that's the first bait i want you to buy but all these other that's why you have all these other color options it's to catch fish in my opinion that's how i fish outside those windows he keeps talking about black on black but i bet you black nickel is actually your number one seller yeah, it is amazing how many people elevate to black nickel. And, and the wild part about that is, is I would assume, and, and this is an assumption, so it doesn't mean anything, but I would assume that black and nickel was probably one of the very first colors for bucktail. It just seems like that's the, the basis to everybody's mindset, right? Oh, yeah. It would make sense, too, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would make sense. Yeah, I did. Uh, so the in fisherman, that's kind of an interesting story. The in fisherman has to this day, you know, 40 some years later, a uh, master angler program where if you catch a fish within a certain length for catch and release or a certain weight for a kept fish, you know, they'll honor you as a master angler like most states do. But the in fisherman had that as part of their part of their program. And so I did a little research one time. Uh, I went back and and looked back to the O'Brien fish and all the musky uh, fish that had ever been submitted to Infishman went through all those hard copy files to figure out what the what the biggest fish were and and they had on record what they caught it on and it was really interesting you, you'll never guess which color it is you know it's black and it was uh, the bobby bait suet and then just a black bucktail though that's what the the most fish were caught on those baits and that's probably because that's what most people are throwing, you know, right, Brad? Well, there's definitely that mix, right? I mean, you're going to catch on what you're throwing. And uh, so that always becomes part of the equation. But, you know, it's so amazing to me, and I've said it many times on the podcast, but there's certain things that uh, tellers kind of become dependent, right? I, I've struggled with the whole color scheme things of things. Over the years, I think brown-orange with orange blades has always been my favorite cowgirl, but 
Purple Gold was probably the first double cowgirl ever developed. Um, that's what Harry wanted. And still today, I mean, it just blows my mind. I mean, like Purple Gold triggers. It's been one of the hottest baits over the last three to four years that since that bait's come out. Um, Purple Gold Cowgirl. I still catch tons of fish on it every stinking season. But I've said it on the podcast before, your pinks and your chartreuses can become really effective after dark. And most people don't look at things like that. They think of black because you've got that silhouette side of things. But if you have light pollution, whether it be from a shoreline or it be from moonlight or whatever, and I'd probably beating the dead horse here by saying this, but look into your pinks and chartreuses. It's going to definitely make an improvement in your night catches as well. So there is those times and you, and you got to experiment and you got to look at the water clarity. If you're fishing really, really clear water, a lot of times I like to go to more of a natural type, whether it be kind of a sucker walleye color, or it might be something really bright on a super bright day. Um, definitely look at that. And then there's certain bodies of water. I mean, if you take like leech and you put that into the equation for whatever reason, that bubble gum pink, um, with chartreuse blades, uh, purple with chartreuse blades, definitely for some dumb reason, them fish up on leech love those colors. And that's been something that I've seen for 25 years. It's amazing to me, but, um, every body of water has got a little bit different color scheme that, uh, those fish seem to maybe identify better. Yeah, I would say a thousand percent. And you can tell too, to Brad's point, we, that they help, every lake has a different color scheme to it. And if you can have your box of baits, you know, I put them in the water and see what they look like, you know, with your polarized. I put, I look at the bait, what it's looking like with my glasses on. I take my glasses off. And for whatever reason, and I've seen this with all sorts of fishing, especially when it comes to a spinner. Uh, whether you're walleye fishing or whatever the case is, but how that bait looks in the water can throw more light, you know? So it's, it's worth like you put it in there and it, wow, it's not really popping enough light. You, you put a bait in the water and it looks like it's uh, lit up, you know? So it's definitely worth toying with. I, I do it all the time and I know there's two schools of thought on it. And mine's kind of a third, like black on black, you know, mix with and, and go with all those those different colors and try to try to dial it in whatever edge I can get over those rascals. I need it, you know. <laughs> so. Yeah, absolutely. I've got a funny story. So I was in South Dakota, and this is probably twenty five, thirty years ago. But uh, some buddies of mine and I, we went early season to South Dakota on the Missouri River, and we were fishing, and we were struggling. I mean, it had been like eight hours on the water. We hadn't had a bite. And there was a couple boats hanging out around us and they were catching some fish. And I'm like, man, what are they doing? You know? And, and I said it earlier, I'm not a huge color believer, but th there is definitely something to the color advantage. Um, if it wasn't uh, team Rhino probably wouldn't exist with all their custom colors. Right. But as we're fishing, a buddy of mine hooked something and he's like, what is this? And he pulls it up and it was a line. And on the end of that line was a dark, dark green jig head. And it laid in the bottom of the boat for probably another hour. And he's like, I'm tying that thing on. So he ties that on and immediately started catching fish. Well, that evening, believe me, we were looking everywhere and anywhere to try to find more green jig heads. And once we got them in the boat, we actually started seeing success. So color can make a difference and uh, definitely something to put into the equation. You know, Jeff, you've been able to fish 
all 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 around you know basically the entire midwest and canada if you had to pick a place that's your favorite destination to go fishing where is it oh i would say you know i would definitely have to say well eagle is just awesome but i mean lake of the woods is kind of similar oh that's just you know and the reason i like catching muskies there is because of the scenery 100 percent. and the other that that's that's one of the reasons not 100 percent. that's one of the reasons is that you're catching this amazing fish in this beautiful scenery loons you know there's nobody around that's awesome another thing i like about lake of the woods is the figure eight option goes up exponentially like i can catch fish on a figure eight and that is just hands down you know this awesome part of muskie fishing um i just i just love that i love seeing those fish pop up behind that bait and then i I go into what am what am I going to do now? You know, I got I have to make a decision on trying to get that fish to trigger, and it so much reminds me of when I uh, I bow hunt. You know, you see when those fish pop up like that, and that to talk about the the passion or how what what makes a musky angler just lose his marbles and just want to do it all the time. That fish pops up behind that bait, and I either got to make it happen or mess it up. I mean, basically, it was what it comes down to, and and that is just the best part and if i can catch it in a in a beautiful scenery you know then that's all the better on some of these other these clear water lakes that i fish in minnesota i'll get fish to follow but i better start making a decision on how to trigger that fish a ways out because on, on some of the bodies why they just tail off at the boat it's just there's just you just can't get them to to interact on a figure eight but the other place i would say is anywhere there's big fish i got a real big fish problem if I can, if I can get on the waters with big fish, I don't care what the scenery is. You know, I, I do not care. And so I, and I was back in the in the heyday fishing when Malax was just full of those those monsters in the early two thousands. You know, I would I was over there um, twice a day. I'd drive from Brainerd twice a day on the on the weekends, or, or I was over there. You know, during the week after work, I was just over there all the time. I didn't care. I just wanted to catch, you know, the big fish. And same with Green Bay when we were doing filming for In Fisherman, and I kind of hit the peak there. I fished with Brett Alexander quite a bit over there during the peak of those monsters. And there was one reason I was going is because I knew the the big fish were an option. So that's those are my favorite bodies of water. You know, if the scenery is pretty and I can catch a muskie, boom, I want to go there. And if there's big fish, sign me up. That's funny you talk about Green Bay that way because we had a joke with a buddy of mine that we'd be fishing. This is early days of Green Bay. There weren't so many 50s, but there was a lot of muskies available. And it was mostly when, when anglers were fishing in the river. And so it had. I think there was a couple more. There was at least for sure one more like power plant or you know a, a factory there that had a warm water discharge. And like you'd... You'd drive, like, you'd be, you know, trolling around, and you, you just, like, smell it, and you'd be like, mm, it smells just like Canada, and it wasn't anything like Canada, you know? It's just, <laughs> they had nothing to do with uh, the scenery, like you were talking about. It had everything to do with the uh, the allure of big fish, and, you know, at, at that time, a big fish in Green Bay was 50. Now they've, you know, sur- surpassed that. I'm, I've heard of 55, 56s being caught, even bigger yet. So now the allure is really, really big fish. But before it was just big fish because, you know, I mean, typically in, in Wisconsin, we got a bad rap for, uh, you know, being known for not having many places to fish for large fish. So it kind of goes along with your uh, scenery thing. Definitely not very scenic in Green Bay. How about you, Brad? Well, you could consider Malax. I always thought Malax, and I spent a lot of time on Malax. I guided on Malax. Um, 
I grew up fishing Mille Lacs as a young, young person with my grandfather, my dad, the whole works. And I always considered Mille Lacs the blue collar lake. It, it just, there's not recreation there. Now you see a few of those guys that uh, run the parachute on a board or whatever. I don't even know what you call it, but um, I guess it doesn't pique my interest. So I don't know what they call it, but, but you know, ultimately you're not seeing jet skis. You're not uh, seeing sailboats. You're not seeing any of that. It's just what I would say is more of a blue collar fishing lake. And there's something special about that. Is it glamorous there? Not really. I mean, it's not that pretty. There's tons of bugs all the time. And, and I would say that green Bay is kind of that style as well. It's more blue collar as well. Um, you don't see that recreation and there's something special about that as well. I mean, everybody knows if you're out on your favorite monkey Lake, whether it be in Wisconsin, Minnesota, with all the different new boats that are out there, whether it's a pontoon or if it's a, a wake boat, it definitely makes fishing a little bit more challenging. And then you could add to it and you could say, let's go to Minnetonka. Great fishery. I don't care to fish it. It just drives me nuts going there because there's just so much recreation. But I got to ask you a question, Jeff. You know, when you talk about Lake of the Woods, what part of Lake of the Woods is special to you? Because every little different area on Lake of the Woods has its own little specific entities, if you will. You know, you could go to Whitefish, and Whitefish is going to be crystal clean bath water. And then you go to Sabascon, and it's more of that uh, tannic water. And then you go towards the west, and it's kind of more the style of water like I fish over here. It's clear, but you'll get some algae blooms and that kind of stuff. What part of Lake of the Woods most interests you and water clarity? That's a good question. The, uh, I would say, I would say that, that Morrison area, you know, but I love that, that area that that's a fun area to fish, but I've also fished that, that whitefish um, zone. And so that gets back into that, that big fish, small fish, thing for me a little bit again you know if i i'm definitely attracted to that big fish area you know if i can catch it if i know there's a big fish i fished up by kenora with gord Pizer in in that in that country and that's it's all it's all pretty i wouldn't say i de definitely don't have a um a preference but I, if i did i wish the wish the rusty crayfish wouldn't have gotten in there and, and kind of um altered the the cabbage beds i just i love fishing the the cabbage beds i know you talk you know you know what i'm talking about when that the bucktails coming over those cabbage beds and you can kind of work it around there and those those fish will move on it i just i just love that and i miss that every turn to spots up there um where there'd be like a, a hog's back you know a narrow area and the big weed bed and it was just your client there's a point leading out you know you can just picture it like it's a an absolute painting and those weeds are gone and the fish are gone you know from that what used to be just like prime spot you know so there's other prime spots obviously those fish have, have adjusted but um, i miss fishing those spots brad yeah it's kind of it's troublesome the, the rusty cray has definitely wrecked a bunch of different bodies of water throughout the state of minnesota i do you hear about it in wisconsin as well I don't know that I've ever heard anybody really talk about Rusty Craze in Wisconsin a I, whole bunch. I want to say that, I, I don't quote me on this, but I think Pewaukee had that, like, and I, I think they still do. Because if I remember right, back when I first started muskie fishing, Pewaukee Lake used to be, like, 
uh, it wasn't like dark stained, but it was dirtier water. And now if you go there, I'm pretty sure it's fairly clear. Now keep in mind, I haven't been there in a little while, but I want to say that Rusty's had, had an impact there for sure. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, you, everything's on a bell curve, right? It's, uh, it has its peaks and its valleys. And at the end of the day, I mean, if you go to Leech today, which I spent some time on this past summer here, um, some of those weed beds are finally coming back. And I've heard some good things like Woman Lake, which I remember fishing, I don't know, 15, 16 years old. Um, it had some of the most plush, beautiful cabbage beds. They were like totally gone for many, many years. And it just, it's disgusting to think that uh, these rusty craves just mowed everything down. You know, they should come to my yard and mow down all my weeds in my yard. That would be nice. But uh, in the body of water, I want weeds and I love beautiful cabbage. And man, it makes it challenging when they, when they do what they do. But hopefully Lake of the Woods bounces back from that and it, it finds a balance. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like fishing rocks and I like doing all that. I just, that, that, that popped into my head. And I, I think I told somebody the other day, I, like we're talking about wolves and the balance of wolves and this and that and the other thing. And I'm like, well, the bottom line is if, uh, if you want things to stay the same, like we living on the wrong planet, like in my lifetime, that things just change and evolve and uh, you have to adapt to it. And the fish are still there, you know, so it's still, still musky fishing, still awesome. I do think one thing that you kind of touched on, and I think it's important. I mean, it sounds like you prefer to fish big fish and I'm no different. And so I'm okay with zeroing if I know that I have the opportunity at a giant. And that's kind of a, a different mindset, I would say, than some people have. And one of the things that I would always do, like if I'm doing a guide trip, say I'm leaving here in an hour, the first question as we're leaving the dock is I will ask, why did you hire me? And the reason I want to know is I need to know the mindset. Are they there for spots? Are they there for just catching fish? They don't care how big they are. Or are we hunting a giant fish? I mean, are you looking for that 50 incher and that's it and you don't care? We're going to fish differently because of that. But the one thing that I can always say is if you're that angler that wants a big fish, make sure you're fishing water that gives you that potential. And it definitely is going to help you uh, get to that quicker. So definitely something to consider and think about. Yeah, absolutely. And I, we were talking a little bit earlier about, uh, you know, what makes a, a musky fisherman. And there's, it's an interest, interesting process, you know, as that if you say like Brad does and deals with it all the time, like people, they watch a television show or they listen to a podcast and they're like, I want to catch a musky. I'm sure like, and then they get in the boat. I'm sure Brad can, can tell this story and the, They'll make an hour's worth of casts, and they're like, "Oh, I don't know, can we troll or do something else?" You know, and but a, a, a real somebody that is into my, and there might be guys that they said they get all into musky fishing, and then you know they they go through that whole motion, and then they kind of tap out and sell all their stuff. So I've kind of seen that as the gamut. You have your guys that want to catch a musky, and they're like, they don't know what's all involved. There's guys that get all in and then get out, and then there's like these musky guys that are just they're all the same they're all that they've got that same personality i've met just a ton of them and they're all it's interesting to me like the the psychology of those guys um, they're all kind of the same characters and they're they're different and they 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 just understand they're like i know what it's going to take i'm going to be i'm going to get my tail kicked for 15 hours 
and they're going after a big fish and that's the commitment like they don't they don't care at the end of the day that, that they didn't catch anything that that was their goal and it reminds me a little bit of a bow hunter you know or uh, in the hunting scene guys that get into that have that same mentality they're they're all in to get after this 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 one animal or if they don't get it they were still successful in their endeavor so and as far as big fish go um brad's right on the money like it, it's uh it's uh i don't care if i if i'm after big fish i don't care if i don't catch any and that just sounds crazy to to most fishing um venues whether you're a pan fisherman walleye fisherman bass fisherman most guys can't wrap their head around it if you're a true musky guy you're like you're speaking my language like i've always said we're a bunch of weirdos i mean and honestly we kind of are i mean if you think about it um you talk to your buddy that's a bass angler or even a walleye angler and they're like, I don't know. I don't understand where you're coming from, how you can fish that many hours and not catch anything. But at the end of the day, I mean, I'm guessing a lot of these people look at you and go, you're like the world's worst fisherman ever. Well, no, not necessarily, but, uh, I put the time in so that I can get that one fish, you know, and that, and that to me, there's something unique and special about that. And that's what makes us musky anglers. Yep, absolutely. I think I had this conversation a little bit with Al Linder a couple of years ago, and he's like, "Oh, that would be interesting. Like the 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 category, the, the what makes a bass fisherman a bass guy, or walleye fisherman a walleye guy, or pan fisherman a panfish guy." And he's like, "And he goes, you're a musky fisherman. What, what do you think about musky fishermen?" And I'm like, "They're eccentric and a little different." You know, they're a little different. He started laughing. I'm like, yeah, they're a lot different. You know, there's, you know, there's, there's guys, but it is a, it is a unique passion. But like I said, like, like Jeremy and I, if we we're going traveling, we're just, if we're in the shop, we're listening to musky podcast or musky information. If we're traveling, we're listening to, we just want to digest all this information and to, to catch this fish. Uh, so it, it is, it is interesting. It's got me thinking about one other thing. Um, about you know being a, a really passionate musky fisherman and aging, which Brad indicated we're the same age. So the older you get, the harder it gets. Obviously, it goes hand in hand. And I fished with a lot of different stuff. This is a real interesting story. A lot of different stuff over the years. And and with in fishermen, you know, obviously if you're doing a television show, you have sponsors. And and but I also was on the editorial side, so I had all. Um, different types of product with the pike and muskie i had to fish with as well but if i'm fishing recreationally locally i'm going out and fishing you know if i have a saturday i'll fish you know 10 whatever hour days but basically it's it's after work you know maybe before work like jerry and i we he has young kids i have um older kids but i still have you know a couple boys to take care of and a wife so we will take off in the mornings uh, this time of year and fish for a couple hours and then you know that's kind of that's not that hard of a workout but if you're on these 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 grinds um again i fished with a lot of stuff over the years and it was hard work there was stuff that we had to fish with because we were sponsored by these companies and i was getting worn out it was like it was causing tennis elbow was causing wrist pain all sorts of pains and older i got i mean i basically would have to literally pry my hand off the rod and and go to the next spot you know that's how hard it was 
my my point of the whole story is is when I came to work with Lunar Media, they have some of the best sponsors, you know, just naturally, just high end sponsors. So I'm talking about um, Dial Reels, and this is not a plug for Dial Reels. And they have St. Croix rods. It's not a plug for St. Croix rods. This is just good stuff. And so I started using their Legend Elite um, rods, the St. Croix rods. And I'm not kidding you. Like, I do not get fatigued. I do not feel, and I'm older. That's the variable. I'm definitely older. I'm fishing the same amount of days. And just having, we, you've heard us give those sound bites on television. Use the low-profile reel. Use a, a high-quality rod. Spend that, go from $200 to a $600 rod. Like, when you're hunting, you spend good money on a shotgun when you're when you're bow hunting you spend good money on a bow like if you're wanting if you're must serious about musky fishing like look into getting these high-end rods and reels like it has changed my life you know being able to fish with top quality equipment one thing that i can add to that and i'm assuming you know with the st croix side i mean we work with them as well the new graph has definitely made some major improvements to my life. I can tell you that, you know, you're talking about tennis elbow and wrist issues. That graph definitely has changed my whole world. Hasn't it, Brad? I mean, that, that is just honest to goodness, the truth, isn't it? It's mind boggling to me because, you know, guiding people or just having friends in the boat and they'll look at that whole feature of that rod and they're like, I don't want that. I'm not interested in that. And I think, you know, that's just a general rule with most people. Something new is not necessarily what they think is going to be the best. But every thinking person that I've put that grass rod into their hands, within 15 minutes, half hour, 45 minutes, they're like, I'm buying one. This is incredible. I mean, it just changes your world. And like my daughter, she's uh, 11, 12 years, she's 12 years old now. She's going to turn 13 here next month. But when she was 11 years old, uh, two years ago, having that in her hand definitely changed her whole world. Now she's got extra strength and power that she didn't have, which is your typical triggered rod. So definitely stuff to think about. And, and if you're experiencing some of those pains, I mean, there's some other options out there as well. You have outdoor grips and, and uh, Jeff helped me out here. I can't think of the other brand. And then chaos has their own version on their rods as well. But, uh, I don't know. There's something special about that pistol grip style that's the graph made by St. Croix. It's, uh, it's definitely something that you should look at if you suffer from any elbow, shoulder, or wrist pain, that's for sure. Yep. And I don't mean to speak down to the high-end musky guys listening to this, but, you know, really pay attention to the, the reel and the reel speeds. Like, if you want to jump up and throw, like, um, the 10s or the 12s, you know, like, use a lower gear speed and you're going to be able to work. You're going to be able to work those baits. So accommodate, you know, and do all these things. I know, I know a lot of the old guys are like, yeah, obviously, but the, the young guys like these having these, just not having just a general um, all around musky rod and reel in the boat, having these other variations can really prolong, you know, the fatigue. And we talked about fatigue, like, boy, when, if you're really going to do musky fishing, right, it's, it's, you're in tune with every single cast, and this is how I go about it. Every single cast, I envision a muskie's going to hit. You just have to do it, and you, you you commit to the figure eight on every single cast, even if it's just a subtle one at the boat, you know. And boy, if you get tired, you know, you don't keep your energy up. Like, and that's another thing. Like, Jerry and I, we're on these big 
these trips on these 15 hour day trips, like we're making sure that we're um, well nourished and, and have and drinking lots of water and, and doing that in between um, fishing spots because you keep that energy up um, throughout the day. You're simply going to, you're going to catch more fish when the opportunity presents itself. Yeah, for some odd reason, these muskies seem to know when you're at your weak point, that's for sure. And, and that's when things kind of happen. So being alert and into the sport is definitely a big key to success, that's for sure. That would be interesting how they know that, Brad. Yep. Telepathically, it runs, runs right through the line, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, a couple, couple of comments, Brad. So you were talking about the grasp and your daughter. I had the same experience with my son. He had... He was been using one all all season long, and so if, if you have younger kids, I mean, I understand it's an expensive rod, and so not everybody wants to hand that off to their kids. But if they, it, it's a great option for them because they can hold on to that grasp right there instead of palming, or you know, instead of going in front of the reel seat or palming the reel, you know, with their smaller hands, it's it's a nice thing there. So I, I wanted to you know interject that and, and agree with you on that, Brad. But also. So we've been talking about gear and we've been talking about the physical demands of musky fishing, but the sport of musky fishing continues to grow. And, you know, Jeff, you had talked about, a, you know, friends of yours that get into it and then they, and they sell their stuff. So like, do you guys have any uh, hypothesis as far as like where the future of musky fishing is? Does it continue to grow or do people that have jumped in in the last couple of years say, yeah, this isn't for me. I'm not willing to, you know, fish 12 hours for one bite, you know, like where, where are we going to go as musky anglers? Where, where's the sport going to go? I think uh, personally, I'd like to jump in here quick. I honestly, over a period of years, I would say that it's kind of a revolving door to a, to a degree. And what I mean by that is, is going to the shows and actually seeing and visiting with people, you always have the hardcore group that a lot of us are. And they're going to return year after year after year, right? Some of them age out. Some of them start trolling because they don't want to cast all day. There's nothing wrong with that. Maybe you spend the last hour and a half casting and you trolled the rest of the day. At least you can still be on the water doing what we love. But the revolving door side of it is, I think, the allure of a muskie, the, the idea of catching a giant fish, um, it pulls people in. And once they see the abuse, as well as the, what am I trying to say? You know, how much work it really truly is to get that to happen. Um, if they don't get that bug right away or they don't have success right away, I think they kind of weed themselves out and decide, you know what, this really isn't for me. I think it's always going to be a constant flow just because of the allure of this fish. Would you agree with that, Jeff? 100%. Yep. Yep, 100%. And it, what's interesting, I, like, I, I, uh, I'm into, I do fly fish as well, um, for, but mainly for smallmouth bass on the Mississippi River. But back in my day of uh, outdoor sportsman group who owned in Fisherman, I was also over oversight the fly fishing um, world. And that kind of has the same allure. Like, I want to try fly fishing. People do it and then drop out. I will say or they stick with it or drop out. You know, it kind of has that same evolution that way. Um, but I will say that that musky fishermen, it seems like just because it's the conventional gear, like uh, they, there's more of a tendency for those guys for it to stick. 
on the musky and the thing. And like we said, you gotta have, it's almost the right personality that eventually goes all in and they're kind of going to be a, a lifer in the musky world. But Brad basically said it, you know, that you're going to have, you're going to, you're going to age out. You're going to have guys that are like, Oh, this is awesome. Get all into it. And then they're on to the next thing. That's probably how most of their life has gone. You know, they probably get really into upland birds and then they get out of that and they get really into duck hunting, get out of that. They get really into smallmouth. So there's just these different personalities, but eventually those, those guys, it was just cool about the musky thing, different than the, my fly fishing comparison. The musky guys, that that is a um, vertical, and the guys that stick in that are they're cut out of the same cloth, which is pretty cool. All right, Jeff. So you, before we get out of here, if you could have one fishing lure, musky fishing lure, that you could throw for essentially the rest of your life, what's it going to be? <laughs> Uh, one out of how many thousands I got to choose from here? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Boy, it, it, it's funny. Like Jeremy Smith, we've had this conversation. You know, we're like we're into like we spend all these hours making these wooden lures that t- that take so much time and effort to make them, and we go fishing and we hop in the boat. Well, guess what? Both of us are grabbing. You know, one of Brad's inline spinners. So it's uh, that thing is just awesome. You know, it's like. Um, it, it's like muskies. There's just so much about an inline bait that attract. There's so many variables, like the vibration and the lat line, and and the flash and the movement of the skirt and all these different attributes of a simple inline uh, bucktail. That hands down, like if I have to catch a muskie to save my life, you know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm grabbing a, an inline bucktail there's just no getting around it no ifs ands or buts i could have out of the thousands of lures um that's what i'm fishing with but i'd like to know what brad thinks i mean an honest answer about that too so he's he's too humble he's not gonna go bucktail that's for sure i bet i bet he will he He hates it when we talk about musky mayhem i know that yeah i struggle i struggle to to beat my own chest and i we've had such a great fun ride doing what we've done with musky man tackle and i love it and it's always going to be a staple i think in in most people's boxes and and it should be because it does work i think that there's the visual concept of a bucktail whether it be you know a hair bait flashaboo bait silicone rubber marabou i mean there's a bunch of different choices right and we were the first to come out with the flashaboo side which is a mylar plastic and the unique side to every one of those has a little bit different movement in the water, right? So your silicone, it's, it's similar to the mylar plastic and the flash blue that I'm talking about. It does breathe and it moves. Um, bucktail, when you have a bucktail, it literally kind of just lays more flat, right? And your marabou bait, I like using marabou, um, whether it be our Supergirl or our electric bunny single girls, when it's really windy and I have to fight the wind casting into the wind, I will usually grab a marabou bait. And the reason I do that is they load up with water. It gets the bait just a little bit heavier and it allows you to cast into the wind a little bit better. So, but the visual side is a combination of different things when it comes to bladed inline spinners. And one of them is the flash. So you got blades that are going to really, really create a flash under the water. And that has calling power. And that, that calling power is going to 
hey, there's a fish down buried in the weeds and it's going to see, you know, that mirror, if you will, that little bit of flash. And so that's going to have calling power. Um, then the secondary part to it, okay, I have the muskie's attention, but now um, that muskie's, you know, six, eight inches behind the bait, maybe it's two feet behind the bait. The movement and the pulsation of the skirts are now going to be some calling power as well. So that's definitely some things. And then if you really want to get crazy and you can add, you know, a grub worm on the back hook or whatever. Now you got something kicking back there as well. And, and a lot of guys like to do that. I don't normally do that, but I have at times. And there's, there's times where I think it probably does make a difference. But the other part of the equation when it comes to an inline is sound. And uh, what I'm talking about when I say sound, you have vibration, like Jeff just said. Um, that's one piece to it. There's a squeal component, right? So now that sound becomes more not just vibration, but you have a squeal, or maybe you have a clevis knock. By using two clevises, like most of the mayhem baits that we use, those clevises are free and independent of one another. And the beauty of that is, is that a lot of times you get some knocks out of those clevises. And one thing that I love to do is if you're using a wire leader, and you can do this with any musky bait, and I think the first time I showed Chase Gibson this, he started laughing at me. He's like, yeah, right. And I'm like, no, do it, and you'll see what I'm talking about. So if you're using a wire leader, you crank that up right to your tip of your rod, and you take the butt of the rod, and you put it up to your ear, and you make movement in the water, and you're going to get a really unique advantage to listening to what that bait sounds like in the water. You're going to hear some of those vibrations. You're going to hear some of those clubs knocks. You're going to hear some of that squeal, potentially. It definitely gives a lot away, and it's basically like a stethoscope that your doctor's using listening to your heart. I mean, it's the same concept. So definitely, I would encourage, if you have a bait in your box that really has always produced for you, listen to it, and then try to identify those sounds and go find it in a different bait as well. So now you have a couple options to throw. Definitely something to think about. And then the other beautiful thing about inline spinners, bucktails, is the amazing hookups. And the reason that they're so amazing, I mean, let's think about this. You have a wire shaft with a bunch of hooks. You just generally don't lose fish unless they're really nipping and, and being dumb. But uh, your hookup percentage of an inline spinner is so incredible. And it definitely is, uh, is part of the equation on why that's such an effective tool. I think we know what Brad and I are throwing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what's so amazing about it, too, is if you think about it, all the different variations where they, you look at, like, our hurricane. I mean, our hurricane has five blades on it, right? It's not a bait that I generally push, and a lot of it's due to I hate building the dumb things. But it's such an effective bait. And if you watch Mayhem's 10,000 cast the last two seasons, and I'm sure you're going to see it again this season three coming up, um, the Hurricane always produces fish. And the beauty of it is it's a bait that you can fish right from the start all the way to ice up. And I think as musky anglers, we all get this thing in our mind that, hey, you can't throw blades when it's cold out. When the water temps get down below 60, you got to start throwing jerk baits or rubber. That's not necessarily true. I've caught tons of muskies on double cowgirls, hurricanes, supermodels, detonators, all the way until ice up. I think some of the equation is, is that you just need to slow things down. And uh, don't get me wrong, there's times when these fish need something to get them to eat. 
And there's nothing wrong with, you know, a jerk bait style bait, whether it be rubber or wood, just to get them kind of fired up. But speed becomes part of the equation. And as the water starts cooling down, um, you know, we don't move that fast when it's 20, 20 degrees out versus 60 degrees. So definitely things to consider when you're fishing muskies. I think speed becomes second only to weather in this whole sport. Blades aren't out the window when the water temps start cooling down. Put it that way. Brad, you know, if I was going to choose one, it wouldn't be a hurricane. It'd be a detonator. Yeah, I don't know, Jeff. You have had great luck over the last couple of years with detonators. And I know that it's been a few big fish as well. And, and it's an awesome bait. And so I was talking about squeal. And one of the unique things, both with the trigger and the detonator, we found something basically... It started being created by Danny Herbick up in Eagle Lake, and Danny's been on the podcast numerous times. Very creative. His dad, Herbie, is very creative as well. And um, one of the things that he came up with, he was playing with different things underneath the clevises versus just having a bead under the clevis. When we started adding these different sleeves, and I tried a bunch of different things, the the sleeve that we're currently using definitely as time goes on gets more and more different squeal and vibration out of it so it's definitely part of the equation and and i know you're a detonator guy jeff so it's kind of cool to see it's a big bait but it doesn't pull that hard and it definitely calls fish yeah i mean i think a lot of people are scared off of it because of the blade combination you know that 1310 they're like oh boy that thing is going to pull harder than a than a double cowgirl but i don't I think it might be, maybe it pulls the same, might be a little easier. It's certainly not harder, that's for sure. I honestly think it's easier. And I would say the same thing about the supermodel. When we developed the 13 blade, which is exclusive to us, we own the, the press mold that, uh, that they cut those blades out on. I spent a ton of time trying to make that blade so that it wasn't so demanding. And what I mean is, is I mean, you pick up a, a supermodel, it's two 13 blades on it, and I honestly think it pulls less than the classic double cowgirl. So, definitely something to think about. It's moving a ton of water because of the size of the blades, but that combination on the detonator, I think it even pulls easier than a supermodel at that point. Definitely way easier than a double cowgirl, in my opinion. Yeah, I won't disagree with that at all. <laughs> yep, and then the, the thing with all these baits, too, is you you use them and you try all these different and you figure out all the nuances of every bait. And then the, which the topic we don't have time for, but it's real simple. You get confidence in these, these in these different options. And, and that is a, that's a big part of the formula of, of uh, being successful out on the water. So. Yeah. I mean, I, we've, we've talked about that many times on the podcast. I mean, confidence is key, right? It's the most important thing. But, you know, like, I think everybody is out there searching sometimes for, you know, a magic lure, and sometimes they need to settle in on, like, if you're struggling, settle in on that one confidence bait, that bait that's that you've caught muskies in. You're going to fish it harder, better, longer, you know, with with more confidence. It's going to help you put more fish in the net. Yep. I, I think of that. I have a mental plan when I go out at the beginning of the day, and then I have a reverse plan, which would be kind of what you just said. You know, if I start to struggle mentally, then I'll fall back into that into that exact zone so I can keep my, my confidence up 100%. Yeah, I think there's another part to the equation as well, and, and that's marketing. I think there's a, a lot of marketing out there that persuades people into purchasing certain baits and so on and so forth. But 
you know, if you think about it, um, I thought it was interesting when Jeff brought up the fact that Suic and the Bobby bait and then the bucktail, um, the three classic baits that have existed in the monkey world forever. And those are still the three top catching baits. So it's pretty wild. Um, and I know, you know, it's that time of the year, October, um, there's going to be some guys out there doing the live bait side of things. And I don't choose to do that. I, I would rather catch them with, uh, artificial baits and that's my gig. And so I look at like rubber baits. If they're not eating rubber, throw some wood. And I've seen it where we've had these bites, these bite windows throughout the whole fall where, man, we haven't seen anything on rubber today. Guess what? You throw a chunk of wood on, whether it be a bait that I should be making, but I haven't for a long time. The Big Daddy, um, your Suix, your Bobby baits, um, an old bait that isn't made anymore, the Intimidator. I would mix up some of that and get that out in the water, and all of a sudden I'm catching fish again. And that might last a day, might last two days. And then, hey, they're not eating wood anymore. Well, guess what? Throw on a bulldog or a Medusa, and all of a sudden you're starting to catch fish again. So definitely another um, another bait to put into that equation. And I know we've shown it a little bit on Mayhem 10,000 Cats, and I know we're going to show it a bunch this year as well, is uh, Innovations um, uh, Big Joes as well as the Mojo. So definitely some, some baits that aren't maybe thrown as much but they're definitely effective and they have a really good drop and you can really work those baits fast or slow and uh, you can straight retrieve, but you can also pull and pause. So, so definitely something to consider as well throughout the rest of the fall. All right, Jeff. Well, we want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to talk about fishing with us. If people are looking to you know, learn a little bit more, more about you or Linder fishing and what you guys have to offer, what's the best way they can go about doing that? Oh yeah, well we have the you know we we're on YouTube obviously with Angling Edge all of our stuff all those shows get posted there and and we have the like I said the anglingedge.com we have a you know run all those websites sign up for our newsletter there's all all sorts we're everywhere with with Angling Edge with with Prankster Baits we got a website as well at pranksterbaits.com you can come out there it's it's a a fun little website that way so uh, yeah, that and then we have the angling buzz and and the Lund Lund fishing experience. So lots of Linder Media products out there, and you can find us with the click of a button. So sounds good. Well, we want to thank you again, Jeff. We really do appreciate your time, and we can't do this without thanking our listeners. We want to thank all of you for listening to another episode of Backlash Podcast, and we will be back with another one again next Wednesday. Mm-hmm.